You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. I like that. It's just a great reminder again. If God could use uh, all of those people listed and mentioned there uh, with their disqualifying habits or hurts or hang-ups, again, he can use any of us as well. And every person who has ever lived from Adam and Eve right up to the present time has felt unqualified to the task that God is calling them to do. Every one of us in this room, we have past hurts, habits, and hang-ups that we believe have disqualified us from ever being useful to God or being used by God. Every one of us in this room, we have sins, we have failures, we have mistakes, we have pasts that we believe are so bad that God could never, ever use us to advance his kingdom. And the truth is, apart from Jesus, no one is perfect. Not one, Isaiah says. And the Bible is full of broken, sinful people that God mightily used despite their past, no matter how dark and sinful those pasts were, God was able to use those people. And because imperfect, broken, and sinful people are the only kind of people there are, there's hope for you and me. The Ministry of Celebrate Recovery, which we launched this past uh, Tuesday, uh, will be meeting now every Tuesday uh, evening, uh, starting with the complimentary meal at 5.15, the large group at 6, and then small group at 7. And again, the whole ministry and part of what we've been talking about throughout this whole series, again, the whole ministry is helping people to kind of begin to identify, uh, to come to terms with what are the hurts, what are the habits, what are the hang-ups um, that are keeping them kind of bound, that are keeping them maybe feeling disqualified um, and kind of holding holding them back from becoming all that God has them or, or wants them to become. And so we've been uh, really talking about this. And again, one of the main focuses of Celebrate Recovery is helping people to kind of identify what are those hurts, those habits, those hang-ups that are keeping you bound. And then let's begin to work through those issues so that you can move um, into a place of recovery. And so again, uh, we're really excited. Uh, we thank everybody um, that came out last week, whether you came as a volunteer, whether you came as a participant, whether you came as both. Uh, we felt like we had a great uh, first uh, night. We had a great start. Uh, and again, uh, there's still plenty of room uh, if you would like to come and, and to be a, a volunteer, to be a participant or both. There is a room. There's a place for you uh, in that. You can see me or Janie or Cheryl afterwards. We'd love to get you uh, plugged in. We'd love to get you um, on board. And again, it, uh, Celebrate Recovery, it's for everyone because every 
one of us in this room, we have hurts, habits, and hang-ups uh, that we need to work through. So again, I hope you'll prayerfully consider uh, becoming a part of what God is really doing uh, here in Mason City on Tuesday evenings through Celebrate Recovery. This morning, we're going to wrap up this series that we've been on the last several weeks called The Road to Recovery. And throughout this series, we've really been kind of looking uh, at the biblical steps uh, to recovery from life's hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And again, every generation, from Adam and Eve uh, to this present generation, every one of us in this room, we're dealing uh, with hurts, habits, or hang-ups, again, that are preventing us and kind of keeping us from becoming all God wants us to become. And each week, we've taken that word recovery from Celebrate Recovery, and we've used it as an acronym for the biblical steps of recovery. And again, it's interesting. Last week, we kind of talked about the Lord's Prayer um, and how the Lord's Prayer, you find all of the steps of recovery in the Lord's Prayer. And again, we talked about that, our Father who art in heaven. And again, we kind of tied that back to the first step where it kind of talks about we need to uh, acknowledge that we are not God. Um, and again, that's an acknowledgement. Our Father who art in heaven, you are God, I am not. And we talked about how all of the steps of recovery are in there. Well, it's very interesting, too, that over 2,000 years ago, Jesus preached uh, a very famous sermon. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. And interestingly, in that Sermon on the Mount, you will also find references there to the eight steps of recovery. So this morning, as we look at that um, word recovery, we're going to also see how those eight principles um, are shared there in this uh, Sermon on the Mount and are tied uh, to the eight steps of biblical recovery. So the letter R, we call this the first step, we call this the reality step. And that's where I realize that I am not God. We come to admit that we're powerless, completely powerless, to control our tendency to do the wrong thing um, and my life apart from Christ is completely unmanageable. Jesus says essentially the same thing in Matthew 5, 3, that first principle in the Beatitudes. How blessed. How many of you want to be blessed here this morning? Again, he says, how blessed am I? What happiness or, or you could even say relief, comes to me when I feel my spiritual poverty and realize my deep, desperate need for God. For then the kingdom of heaven is mine. Now stop and think about that for a moment. That, that's one of the ways God blesses us. It's not just blessings that are material, uh, and we're thankful for the material blessings. We're thankful for food. We're thankful for our clothes. We're thankful for our home. But again, this is a blessing that God has for us as well. We are blessed when we really begin to feel our spiritual poverty. When we kind of begin to, to feel and to acknowledge and to understand that every one of us are born with this deep, desperate need for God. And that when we come to realize, to recognize that, Jesus says, for then the kingdom of heaven 
is mine. What he's saying is all that heaven has to offer becomes ours when we recognize the spiritual poverty and our deep, deep need for him. The letter E in recovery, we call that the hope step. And that stands for earnestly believe that God exists, that I matter to him. Do you understand that you matter to God? Your life matters to God. And that he and he alone has the power to help me recover. Tie this step to Matthew 5, 4, the second principle in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. How blessed am I when mourning, grieving comes to me, for then I shall be comforted. None of us have the power or the ability or the strength to change our lives, to overcome the hurts and the habits and the hang-ups we have. No matter how hard we try, no matter how our intentions, how good our intentions are, every one of us eventually fail and give up. And when we just begin to mourn or we begin to cry out to God, he will give us all we need through his strength, his power, and his ability. And through that mourning, that crying out to God, Jesus says, you will find comfort. The letter C in recovery, we call this the commitment step. And that stands for consciously, where we make a conscious decision that we're going to commit all, not just some of our life, not just the hard parts, but we're going to give God everything. We're going to give all of our life and will to Christ's care and control. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 5. How blessed am I when gentleness and humility live within me, for then I shall inherit the earth. We talked about this. Without humility... You will never willingly choose to commit all of your life to God because pride is such a huge issue. Pride is, convinces us that we can do this on our own. We don't need God. We don't need anybody else. Pride convinces us we can do this on our own. But again, the blessing that comes when we just begin to embrace God's gentleness, and we begin to embrace humility. Then we shall inherit the earth. The fourth step, we call this the house cleaning step, and that focuses on the letter O in recovery, and that stands for openly examine and honestly confess my faults to God, to myself, and to someone I trust. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 6. How blessed am I when I hunger and thirst for righteousness. And that word righteousness, you could say uh, how we hunger and thirst to be in right standing with God the Father. That is the cry of our hearts. We want to be in right relationship with God. We want to be in a, in a just and a right relationship with God. For then we will be satisfied. When you're in right standing with God, as we sang this morning, when you know that you are a friend of God, that he loves you unconditionally, that he'll never leave you, he'll never forsake you, 
we will find satisfaction. We'll, we'll find uh, wholeness. We'll find, we'll find rest. The fifth step, we call this the transformation step. This is the letter V in recovery, and that stands for voluntarily, willingly. We submit to every change that God wants to make in our life. And we, again, there's that word humbly. We humbly come to him and we ask him to remove my character defects. Matthew 5, 7 says, how blessed am I when I demonstrate tender mercy, for then I will be shown mercy. And again, when we cry out to God to be merciful toward us and to remove our character defects, Instead of judging us according to our character defects, God shows his mercy toward us. And then we need to do the same for others. When I am merciful towards you, despite all of your hurts, habits, and hang-ups, I will experience God's mercy in my place of need. The fifth step, the letter E in recovery, that stands for evaluate all my relationships. That means all of your relationships. And you offer forgiveness to those who have hurt you. And then you also want to try to make amends uh, towards the people you have hurt, except when, when uh, to do so would harm them or others. Matthew 5, 8, how blessed am I when my heart is pure, for then my eyes will be opened to see more and more of God. And that, that is what our relationship with God is all about. Our walk with God is that we want God to open our eyes, open our hearts so that we can see and know more and more of him. And one of the ways that God does that is through a pure heart. The seventh step, we call this the maintenance step. The letter R stands for reserve a daily time with God, where we do self-examination. We're kind of looking at what's been going on in our lives and, and allowing God to bring those areas that need healing, that God would bring those uh, to the forefront. Those places where maybe we need to be challenged to forgive others or to maybe make amends. It, it's, a, it's a time, a daily time, where we're asking God, search my heart. Know me, try me in all of my ways, God. And if there be any sinful way in me that God, that you would bring that to my attention and then give me the wisdom and the courage uh, to make that right. And Matthew 5, 9, how blessed am I when I pursue peace for then I will be a true child of God. Again, God is the only true source of peace in this life. And the peace that God offers, it will guard your heart and your mind, the scripture says, in Christ Jesus. All of life's issues are gonna, are gonna come at you in two areas, either your heart or your mind. And the peace of God is there to guard you in both of those places. I feel like that's a word for you, Tim, this morning, is everything you've gone through uh, with your daughter and your wife is that God just wants to give you peace of heart and mind in all of this. So I just, I, I just pray that you receive that. The eighth and final step, which we're gonna to cover today, is the letter Y. And this stands for yield myself to God, to be used to bring this good news to others by both my example and 
by my words. Now, again, that's so important that it's not just our example, okay? An example is a very, very powerful witness, but it's not the only thing that we're called to use. We're also called to use words. There was a time where I heard a, a saying, I, I maybe read it somewhere, and, and it said this, let me preach the gospel in everything I do, and if necessary, use words. And I thought that that sounded like, you know, a, a good saying, and, and, and I remembered that, and, and I, I kind of tucked that away, and then there, there came a day where I really began to be challenged by that, that it, it, a good example, it, it, it's not enough. It's a good start, but there comes a point to where my example, my living out the Christ-like um, life, the Christ-like life, there comes a point to where I'm going to have to also be able to share by my words the good news of the gospel. And so this is a very, very important step. This last step is, again, uh, to be able to yield ourselves, to give ourselves to God, in such a way that we can bring the good news to others, not just by our example, but through our words. And what I love about this is that God wants to use the hurts, the habits, and the hang-ups in your life. That God wants to heal you of those. He wants to free you of those. And then he also wants to use you as an example to others who are maybe struggling in a lot of the same ways you are or were. That God wants to use you as an example of his power and uh, of his work uh, in your life. And so he wants to recycle and he wants to use all of the things that maybe make you feel disqualified or unuseful to God. God wants to heal those and use them as an example for other people. Most people mistakenly think that God only wants to use the good parts of our life or the strong uh, traits that we have in our life. And that's just not true. God wants to use all of it. He wants to use uh, the, the, the bad parts of your life. He wants to use the, the things you struggle with. He wants to use your weaknesses as an opportunity to minister to others because those are the, the, the testimonies. Those are the witnesses that people can relate to more easily. How many of you have ever been around somebody that, that all they talk about is, you know, how great they are or how strong they are in the Lord or, or you know, how, how they just talk about all of their victories? It's hard to relate to people like that because, to be honest, none of us are really like that. All of us here struggle with things, and what's more encouraging to me is when I hear somebody who kind of talks about a struggle that they are going through or have gone through, and they're able to talk about how, how God was with them, how God strengthened them, how God led them and, and, and gave them victory over that. That's encouraging to me. And again, one of the things that you'll find um, in the Celebrate Recovery ministry, some of you are going to come to Celebrate Recovery, and you're going to be there to kind of work through past hurts, habits, and hang-ups. 
And, and you're going to kind of be in, in a place of recovery for a while. But here's the good news. You're going to get to a place, if, if you continue to really work at those issues, if you follow the steps, if you kind of do what Celebrate Recovery calls you to do, there will come a point and a place in your life where God will begin, he'll continue healing those areas of your life, but God will begin to use you as a witness and use you to be able to minister minister to other people who are maybe struggling in like ways. So some of you are going to be coming for a while, and you're going to be just kind of receiving, and God's going to be working um, in your life. But again, there's going to come a moment where you're going to just begin to feel God calling you maybe to be a volunteer, maybe to lead a small group, maybe to lead a step study, because now you're kind of at a place where, where you're in re enough recovery that you're able now to turn around and to begin to help other people who are maybe struggling like you were. It's, it's one beggar helping another beggar find where the bread is. That's kind of the idea. It's kind of the wounded healer. You've kind of been wounded in areas of life, but God's done enough healing in that area of your life where now he can begin to use you to help other people. I find that so encouraging. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 5.10. How blessed am I when I bear the wounds of being persecuted for doing what is right. For that is when I experience the realm of heaven's kingdom. And again, I believe as you just openly and humbly share your struggles, your weaknesses, your wounds, and the failures you're recovering from, that's what it means to bear your wounds. Bearing my wounds, it, it means I'm showing them to you. I'm revealing them. I'm letting you see my wounds. I'm bearing them openly. Not hiding him. Not pretending I've got it all together. And not just bearing those wounds, but I'm also sharing how God has given me everything I need to recover so again, God wants to use all of your life's experience in recovery to help and encourage others in their recovery. And that's what step eight is all about. So he talks about, again, this step eight, yield myself, give myself to be used by God to bring good news to others. When you understand this, that God uses your weaknesses and your pains, your difficulties and your challenges, life takes on a whole new meaning and purpose. Again, some of us kind of have this understanding that God doesn't want anything to do with us until we get it all together. And that's just not true. God takes us just as we are. All of our weaknesses, our failures, our mistakes, he, he takes us and, and, and he encompasses all of that, and he begins to work his great plans and purposes in and through all of that. God is not waiting till you, till you get to a certain level of spiritual maturity to begin to use you. God wants to use you right now exactly where you are. And again, when you begin to walk out this step, this step eight, when you begin to, uh, again, um, just live this out in your example, um, in your words, when you begin to walk this out, it shows you are in recovery. 
Oftentimes people will say, well, how do I know if I'm in recovery? The proof of recovery is when you begin to focus um, outside of yourself. That demonstrates that you really have begun the task of recovery. You've gone from being self-absorbed to other-focused. Where you go, uh, it's no longer just about me, but it's about you. It's about us together. Instead of thinking, what can people do for me? When you're in that place of recovery, your focus begins to shift to how can God use me to help other people? That's the tangible proof that demonstrates you're in recovery is that you want, you desire God to use you to help others, not just keeping the focus on what's happening to you. So as we wrap up this series, let me talk to you about two things. First, why has God allowed pain into our life? Anybody here had pain in their life? Yeah, we've all experienced pain in our lives. And second thing is, how can God use my pain, my difficulties, my struggles to help others? First, why has God allowed pain into our lives? There are many reasons, but let me just give you a few. Number one, God has given us a free will and we don't always use it for good. Every one of us in this room, you have been given a great gift by God. It's called a free will. And that is a blessing. The downside of that free will is oftentimes we don't use our free will, our free choices for good. You can use your God-given free will to do right or to do wrong, to choose life or to choose death. It's your choice. And again, why did God do that? God could have created every one of us where he makes us to kind of bow down three times a day, pray and worship, that we always do what's right, never wrong. But God didn't want a bunch of puppets. He wanted people who could freely choose to worship him or not worship him. God wanted people who could freely choose him or reject him. God wanted people who could truly love him or not love him. Every choice, every decision, we would be free to choose. But understand this, every choice, every decision we make has outcomes. Okay, you can't say you love somebody unless you have the choice to not love them. You can't say you're good unless you've been given the choice to not be good, to be bad. So again, God has given every one of us free will and free choice. And God respects, he doesn't always like how we use our free will. He doesn't like how we use our choices, but God respects our choices regardless of the outcome. Adam and Eve were the first ones to learn that. God's gift of a free will, it is not only a blessing, but it also can be a burden because there are times where every one of us in this room have made really, really bad choices. And some of the bad choices can cause all kinds of pain and chaos in our lives as well as the lives of others. And oftentimes when others are involved in that, they're innocent people. 
We see that playing out right now in the Middle East. Innocent people on both sides of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict are paying a huge price for the evil choices of a few wicked people. It's been that way throughout the course of history since time began, and it's going to continue on until the day Jesus Christ comes back again. So it's good that God has given us a free will. It's a blessing that God's given us free choice. It's a blessing that we can choose between right and wrong, good and evil. But it also can be bad because, again, we often choose to use our free will to do wrong and cause a lot of unnecessary pain in our lives and the lives of others. So here's the thing. We can choose, and we have free choice, we can choose to experiment with drugs. Now, if I get addicted to that, that's not God's fault. That's my fault. We can choose to be sexually promiscuous, okay? If I get a disease, that's my fault. It's not God's fault. God's like, yes, I would not like for you to do certain things, to make certain choices, to have certain pains and consequences as a part of your life, but it's all part of the package that comes with having a free will. And here's the other point we need to remember. Not only has God given you a free will, but he's given everybody around you, everybody in the world, free will as well. Oftentimes, other people don't do the right things, and we are impacted by those decisions. Those of you who have been deeply hurt, maybe by a parent, a spouse, a teacher, a close friend, a relative, God could have intervened and God could have prevented and shut that down from happening to you. And all he would have had to do is just remove and take away that person's free will to do wrong. But here's the flip side of that. If God does that to one person in order to be fair and to be just, God would have to remove all of our free will as well. And so again, you begin to see the dilemma, the outcome of having a free will where we get to make our own choices. We can use it as a blessing, but it can also be a burden. And all of that depends on how you and I choose to use it. The second reason God allows pain into our lives is to get our attention. Pain can be a warning light. It can kind of be a siren. It can be an alarm that kind of goes off and it's telling us something's wrong. Something's not right. And again, I want you to understand pain is not the main problem. It's an indicator of something much deeper. Your depression, your anxiety, your fear, your addiction, that is not the main problem. It is an indicator of something much deeper. All that is happening in your life, all of that serves to tell you there is a deeper problem underneath the surface. C.S. Lewis was the one who said this. He said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, but he shouts to us in our pain. Pain is one of the ways 
It's one of the mechanisms that God uses to wake us up to the deeper issues that may be going on in our lives. Proverbs 20, verse 30 says, sometimes it takes a painful situation to make us change our ways. We don't change when we see the light, but we do when we feel the heat. Remember the story of Jonah. Jonah was going one way after God told him to go the other way. So God provides a very difficult and I would say painful situation for Jonah in the way of a big fish. And he finds that uh, uh, he gets a one-way ticket to the bottom of the ocean. It was as Jonah kind of sat there in the belly of that big fish that he has this thought, Jonah 2.7, he says, when I lost all hope, I once again turned my thoughts to the Lord. There God used his difficult situation, his painful circumstance to get his attention. I've often pondered this verse in 1 Corinthians 5.5 where the Apostle Paul says the following. He says, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Paul's kind of saying that, that there are times where God will allow the destruction of our bodies if that's what it takes to get our attention and to get us to repent and to turn back to the Lord. So some of us may be going through physical problems right now and God's wanting to use that to get our attention. Now that's not every difficult situation, it's not every problem, but God may be using certain issues, certain pains, certain circumstances to get your attention. Third reason God allows pain and difficulties into our lives is to teach us to depend on him. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 through 10 says, We were crushed and overwhelmed and saw how powerless we were to help ourselves, but that was good for us. For when we put everything into the hands of God who could save us, and he did help us. Sometimes we don't realize God is all we need until God is all we've got. When you've lost it all, when life is just completely crumbling, you don't know that God's all you need until you come to that realization, that place in life where God is all I've got. And God will allow pain and difficult situations into our lives to teach us and to remind us to depend on him and him alone. Psalm 119 verse 71 says, my suffering was the best thing that could have happened to me for it taught me to pay attention to your laws, to your ways, to your decrees. Fourth, final reason God allows pain and difficulties into our lives is to give us a ministry to others. And again, this is what step eight is all about, where we yield ourselves to God in order to help other people. Pain and difficulties have the potential to prepare us and equip us to serve other people. Second Corinthians chapter one, beginning in verse four. I love this verse. Listen to what it says. God comforts us in all our troubles so we can comfort others. When others are troubled, we are able to give them the same comfort God has given us. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. Even when we are weighed down with troubles, it is for your comfort and your salvation. 
For when we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you. It enables me to give to you what I have received from God. And every one of us needs some type of recovery, whether that's mental recovery, physical recovery, emotional recovery, spiritual recovery, social recovery. Who can better help an alcoholic than someone who struggled with alcoholism? Who can better help somebody dealing uh, with the pain of abuse than maybe someone that's been abused themselves? Who better to help somebody who's lost a job and maybe went bankrupt than someone who's lost a job and been through bankruptcy themselves? Who can better help a couple of parents who have a child or a teenager who's going off the deep end than a, a couple, a, a set of parents who have experienced a child going off the deep end? God wants to use and he wants to recycle the pain in your life to help others. But you've got to be open and honest about it. And if you keep that hurt to yourself, you keep that issue to yourself, then you're only wasting it. There's a beautiful story, and I know many of you are familiar with it. In Genesis chapter 37 through 35, it's the story about Joseph. Now here's a guy who was so mistreated, a guy who was so abused, and people did incredibly evil things to this guy. And he was basically a good guy. He didn't deserve all of the pain and difficulties in his life. You may remember, at one point, his 11 brothers decided to gang up against him and sell him into slavery. And then they went back home and told their father that he had been killed by a wild animal and brought unspeakable grief to his father's heart for many, many years. That's what you call a dysfunctional family. Joseph is sold to some gypsies, and remember, he's taken to Egypt, and there he is sold into slavery, and, and he's doing his job as a servant in Potiphar's wife, at Potiphar's house. You remember, Potiphar's wife takes a real keen liking to Joseph, and she tries to seduce him, and she tries to get him to come to her bed, and Joseph refuses, and, and, and he tells her, no way. And so she feels spurned, and so she begins to scream rape. And, and Joseph is falsely accused, and he is thrown in prison because it is believed that he tried to rape Potiphar's wife. But God knew exactly what he was doing, and God knew that he could take every one of those evil circumstances, those bad situations in Joseph's life, and recycle it and use it for good. Because there came a point where God raised Joseph up to become the second in command in Egypt. He served right under the Pharaoh. And God used Joseph not to just only save one nation, but to save two nations from destruction and famine. And lady, remember, remember in the story, his brothers come to him to get food, expecting to have their heads cut off. And Joseph makes this statement in uh, Genesis 50, verse 20. He said, you, you, my brothers, what you did, you intended to harm me. But God intended, God used it for good. 
God is bigger than the people and the problems around you. No matter what's been done to you, no matter the evil that maybe you have suffered from others, God can turn it around and use it for good. God never wastes a hurt, a habit, or a hang-up in your life. So specifically, how can we use our pain and difficulties in helping other people? Again, this is what step eight is all about in the road to recovery. 1 Peter 3.15, and I'm gonna wrap up here, is the basis for step eight. Always be prepared. Always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope you have. Do this with gentleness and respect. Again, we just need to be prepared to give an answer. Why are you so joyful? Why are you so at peace? Why do you seem to have such victory in your life? I feel stuck, but I see that you have great freedom in the Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to that kind of question. How did God help you make it through that difficult circumstance? How are you recovering? Be prepared. And here's what you need to do. Just sit down sometime and maybe just make a list of all of the experiences you've had in your life to this day, both good and bad, positive and negative. Maybe the ones you've caused, the ones you haven't caused. Make a list of those experiences. And then ask yourself this question, what did I learn from that experience? How did God help me through that tough time? How, God, did you help me through that tough time? And then just write out your story on paper. Why, again, because your thoughts can become very tangled. And oftentimes when we begin to write our thoughts down, it's a way of kind of detangling um, those thoughts. Write it out. And then ask yourself, who could benefit from maybe hearing my story? And the answer is people who are going through right now what you've already gone through. You're just a little bit further ahead in the process. And then you just simply say to God, I'm available. Here I am, God. Use me. Use my hurt. Use my past uh, difficult circumstances. Use this, God, so that I can show others the road to recovery. Sometimes God wants you to take initiative. This is called intervention. Galatians 6, 1 through 2 reminds us of an important truth. If someone is overcome by some sin, humbly help him back onto the right path, remembering that next time it might be you who is in the wrong. Share each other's troubles and problems, and so obey our Lord's command. Again, God says, do this. This is a command, not a suggestion. So let me just kind of give you uh, really quickly three things to remember as you share your story. Be humble. Okay, we're all in the same boat. Every one of us here know what it is to struggle. So you don't need to have an attitude of superiority. You don't have to come across as someone who knows it all. Again, we're all in the same boat. We're all fellow strugglers. So when you're sharing your story, just be humble. Second, be real. Be open, be honest about your fail, your faults, your failures. You help other people by being honest about your hurts. And again, when you're honest about your hurts and your failures, it opens people up. 
It gives them this sense that this is a safe place. You're a safe person to be able to share this with. Third one is don't lecture. Just share your story. God wants you to be a witness, not a defense attorney. You don't need to argue with anybody or argue them into heaven. You just share. And fourth and final thing is just ask God to give you somebody you can share your story with. I guarantee you there is somebody who will benefit and be blessed by your story. There are people who are going to be blessed by the way God has been working in your life. There's somebody out there, and you just need to ask God, God, bring those people into my path that I can just share openly, honestly, humbly um, with them about my story and what you've done uh, to help me. Acts 20, verse 24 says, Life is worth nothing unless I use it for doing, doing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. What gives your life meaning and purpose is when you can use your story to help others. Let's just go ahead and stand together this morning. We're just gonna do our prayer of consecration uh, this morning. Again, I invite you, it's not required if you wanna just again hold your hands out this morning. Again, when we do this, what it is is we're letting go of the things that we need to let go of. And when we let go of the things we need to let go of, what it does is it opens us to receive the things that God has for us. So I want you to do this this morning, not because I'm doing it, not because your neighbor's doing it. I want you to do this this morning because you're asking um, God and you're, you're asking for his help and you're receiving what he has for you this morning. Let's just pray this together out loud. Father God, I thank you that this is the day that you have made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I delight myself in you, Lord. I thank you, Father, for loving me and rejoicing over me with singing. I thank you that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, emancipation from bondage, freedom. I walk in that liberty. In the name of Jesus, I put on the whole armor of God that I may be able to stand against the schemes of the enemy. Help me to remember that I wrestle not against flesh and blood, that my fight is a spiritual fight against principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world, and spiritual wickedness in high places. Therefore, Father, enable me to take to myself the whole armor of God, that I may be able to withstand in the evil day having done all to stand. I stand therefore, having my loins girt about with truth. Your word, Lord, which is truth, contains all the weapons of my warfare, which are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Thank you, Father God, that you have given to me the breastplate of righteousness, which is faith and love. My feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In Christ Jesus, I have peace and pursue peace with all people. I am a minister of reconciliation, proclaiming the good news of the gospel. I take the shield of faith, wherewith I am able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, the helmet of salvation, holding the thoughts feelings, and purpose of God. 
and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. In the face of all trials, tests, temptations, and tribulations, I cut to pieces the snare of the enemy by speaking forth the Word of God. I thank you, Father, that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Thank you, Father, for the armor. I will seek you and pray to you at all times, on every occasion, in every season, in the spirit, with all manner of prayer and supplication. To that end, I will keep alert and watch with strong purpose and perseverance, interceding in behalf of all the saints. My power and ability and sufficiency are from God, who has qualified me as a minister and a dispenser of a new covenant of salvation through Jesus Christ, my Lord. I thank you, Father, that I've been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, that I reside in heavenly places with Christ Jesus, that I dwell in the kingdom of God and have peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now to him who is able to keep me from falling and to make me stand without blemish in the presence of God's glory with rejoicing. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time and now and forevermore. Amen. information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.